you can be seated. As you're seated, I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we gather together on this holy All Saints Sunday to continue to hear a word from you so that you might transform us, perhaps, maybe, even into one of those people that we call saints. So having heard your scripture read, continue to speak to us. And we pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we find ourselves just in the beginning of this month and closing out our Christian calendar year, which I know some of you might not know that we have a calendar year within the church. You might know, though, that the beginning of the year for Christians is a, a coming close, which is Advent. So anyone seen Christmas stuff in the stores at Target and Costco? I think the Costco started in September, but that's beside the point. Uh, anyway, all that to say, we find ourselves closing out the Christian year. And last uh, sermon series, we had a sermon series called The Old Stories Made New. And what we did is we explored some of our old uh, Bible stories that we've learned when, uh, if you were a child and growing up in Sunday school, you might have learned them then or have heard about them in popular media or culture like David and Goliath. And we explored some of them because as you get older, you know, you start to look at those texts and, and wonder a little bit and start asking yourselves, well, I don't know if I can believe or, you know, sign up for all those things that I was once, you know, reading within those scriptures and we had questions about it. And so I thought, and I, I planned my series with a buddy of mine who went to undergrad and he's a, a Presbyterian pastor in Salt Lake City now. And so we were planning this series and we decided, so now that we've gone from, you know, some potentially problematic scriptures and we kind of explored those and pulled out some underlying stuff, why don't we just, you know, go to the core of our faith, go to the core beliefs of our faith. And what's fun is that we're, you know, I'm a United Methodist pastor and he's a PCUSA, so a Presbyterian USA pastor, and yet we still fully agree along the core of our faith. And one of the terms that stands out to us is this word grace, is this word grace. That I think that if you understand grace and the power of it in our lives and in the work of God, that you will understand the primary basis for the Christian faith. I, I just truly believe it. It's like the fundamental core. I mean, I'm on the Board of Ordained Ministries. So it's a fancy word for the board that kind of reviews candidates as they're working their way up through the ordination process when they're blessed by the United Methodist Church to go off and preach the good news and to celebrate the communion table and to do baptisms and do all, of the, all those things. And one of the things that we ask every single candidate and we want them to articulate is grace. And what does it mean, and how does it work in our lives? And you all got this morning, I believe, the clearest definition in all of the scripture of what grace is. And that is this, a gift from God. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear in this passage that you are saved by grace that you are saved by grace. And he even goes further into that for us people that think we're better than we are or that think that we need to, you know, get the A or, you know, get the promotion. You know, those high achievers, those perfectionists, those people that strive to do better and better. Anyone else in the room like that sometimes? Yeah? Okay. So he even makes it more abundantly clear to you, if that is you, and says this, great, you are saved by grace. And then says, 
it is not by your own doing. Because he knew that we would fall in the temptation to think all of a sudden that what? We accomplished this on our own, that we accomplished this on our own. I remember I was in a Sunday school class. I didn't grow up in the church, and I, I found myself going to Sunday school for the first time at an Assemblies of God Pentecostal church. And there was one of the youth that we were trying to talk about grace, and we we're trying to talk about how, you know, God works in our lives and God gives us gifts. And I don't, I don't know, remember what they're talking about. I just remember the response of one of this youth. And he goes, well, I don't, and I think it's a response that many of us have. He goes, well, I am, he was a golf player. So he's very good on the varsity team for golf. And he goes, but I didn't get the gifts for golf. I was, I trained day and day. I played golf every day during the summer. And that's how I acquired the gifts for golf. They're not a gift from God. It's a gift of golf. And my, my Sunday school teacher couldn't understand. She wasn't having any of it because of the pride of this youth, right? That he wouldn't acknowledge that God gave him the gifts that he would eventually need to play golf. But this youth, I think, he kind of just was communicating out loud what is a common narrative within our culture, that if you try hard and you put work into it, you will succeed. And we know that anyone who's like an expert in any area of any like field, you know, they know that you have to try hard and put in the work in order to succeed. And our popular media kind of like puts up like movie stars and professional athletes, like they were, they were born this way with like all of this magical talent. But the more you listen to the stories of these athletes, the more you realize how much work actually goes into crafting, you know, the skills that they have. Or for an actor or actress, crafting the skills that they have to perform in the ways we do. I think of, I was listening to Kobe Bryant, the late Lakers player, uh, talk about how he set himself up against the rest, right? And it, he said it was quite easy. If you wake up at, you know, let's say seven, eight, get a good breakfast in, make your way to the gym, and you get there at 10, you take some time off, get lunch, you go back and you get back to the gym around like five or so, or maybe six later on, and because your body had to take time to recover. And then, you know, you get dinner and you go to bed, you get rest and you start the next day. That's a day in the life of a professional athlete. And Kobe Bryant goes, but when I get up at three in the morning, I get my breakfast in, I get my first session in, I get my break in, I get my second session in at 10.30, and then I go back and I get lunch and I take a break, and then I get my third session in at like seven o'clock at night. And then he goes, just the compounding effect of the fact that I got three practices in and the other person only got two practices in is what sets apart, well, Kobe Bryant from the others, right? And it's not just that. I mean, we think of like the movie stars that they just walk on the set and it's like they didn't do everything, but then, you know, they put hours and hours into crafting what they do. And you know, in whatever profession that you find yourself in, whatever area of your life that you're like, this is my area, you know that truth, right? Because I, I just, what I did this morning is I just stepped up here and grabbed my stool, right? You know, that's what I did this morning. Just like when you give your business report to your bosses, all you did was print the report that someone else handed to you and here it is. No, we all know to succeed takes what? Hard work. It takes hard work. And, you know, there's even a phrase that has like been part of the core of our nation, right? And what is that? 
Protestant work ethic, right? You know, we were founded as a nation by the Protestant work ethic. And, and we believe to our core that if you work hard enough, you will, that's what will take you through in life. Even though we celebrate, you know, the, you know, the lottery, you know, the lottery winners and all those things, we think sometimes that people don't have to work. We know, we know, deep down, you work to get it. Which is where sometimes we look back on, you know, people of old, 2,000 years ago, and what do they know about 21st century life? What do they know about 21st century life? Well, listen to Paul's words. You are saved by grace. And it is not what you did to earn it, right? It is not what you did to earn it. We were the same 2,000 years ago as we are today. In fact, one of the greatest debates of the early church actually once we became the church of the Roman Empire and the intellectuals started to really engage with this thing called theology. We started to like take our level from, you know, like kind of laymen, although there are some very smart people there, to like PhDs, you know, like debating with like this amazing rhetoric. And there is probably none other than St. Augustine on Saints Day. We're remembering a saint, but St. Augustine is one of the, the premier intellectuals, you know, around the 300 uh, AD. And he was one of the premier intellectuals. And he had this huge debate with this guy named Pelagian. Pelagian. And uh, and they debated, and I know sometimes we look at like heresies and like church doctrines, and it's like, I don't know, like whatever, you know, it's all just kind of, but this was really important to them. And the difference here was, do you think that you do anything in your merit of earning your salvation? And for Pelagius, he was like, ah, uh, yes, you do do things, right? Like, you've got to be a good person. I mean, let's just be honest right here. If you're going to go out and you're going to steal and you're going to go out and you're going to hurt other people, or you're going to go out and do other things, you've got to be a good person, period. I mean, Jesus was a good person, and Jesus calls us to do what? Be good people. I mean, it's obvious that like, God wants us to live out the Beatitudes, you know, to be happy no matter what circumstances, to feed the poor, to, you know, praise God, to pray. Like, those things are non negotiables in our faith. And so Pelagius thought, you know, you should do those things. But Augustine says, nada. No, that you've got it wrong. Because the minute that you start thinking you're doing this, minute that you start thinking that you are saving yourself is the minute you didn't need God in the first place. Is the minute you didn't need God in the first place. And so he came up with this fancy word called total depravity, right? Like that we are all in need, in need of God's intervention in our lives. That we're in need of that intervention in our lives. And I think in the end, I know like it's a conflict and eventually Pelagius you know, became Pelagianism, which was a heresy. And so you can't believe that. Um, but you would be surprised, though, if I were to tell you that the early church knocked this out in 325 AD, that you do not save yourself. And in fact, even more so, nothing, nothing you do saves, saves yourself. And I think it lines up with what the Apostle Paul said. Because I, and I know I talk about the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul, and I love his ministries because I think it's just so real and authentic of what, like, it's just, you can put yourself in the shoes of what he was going through and the churches that we're going through, and you start thinking to yourself, yeah, that, that could happen today. Because essentially, the Apostle Paul 
goes through all of these churches and he starts them in places that he wasn't supposed to start them. Because the church, if you didn't know, in its early days, post-Jesus, and even with Jesus, was essentially just a branch of Judaism. Right? It was just like a bunch of Jews decided to follow Jesus. And then they decided to do it just a tiny bit differently, but essentially still, you know, be Jewish. You know, they probably still ate Jewish food. They were still, families were circumcised, and they did all the things to follow the Torah. Although Jesus gave some flexibility, right? You know, like, it's more important to serve people on the Sabbath than to hold to the rigid account. But it was mostly Jewish. But Paul had the audacity to bring in people that were not Jews into the church. And he started them, and he said something like this. It doesn't matter, and this is actually later on in Ephesians and in Galatians, it doesn't matter if you are male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, that we are all one in the body of Christ. That we are all one in the body of Christ. And that was an extreme statement. Because the idea that someone else who doesn't live the proper life is included into the body of Christ is audacious. And I know I'm, I'm going to get just a tiny bit political this morning, okay? So just bear with me, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because, you know, midterms are just in a couple days and it is going to bombard us everywhere we go. Bombard us everywhere we go. So I'm bombarding you just a little bit. I don't, just imagine, I don't know where you are politically, but just think of the other, right? Just think of the other for a second. And then Jesus saying, or Paul, the Apostle Paul saying these person, these words, you know, that person that is going to vote that way for that crazy person that's making all of these mistakes and they think it's God's way and they think it's great, you know that person, they're one at the body of Christ. They're one in the body of Christ. And I know we have some people that have strong opinions and you might be thinking to yourself, oh yeah, I don't know about that, but Brian! Neither slave nor free nor male, nor female, nor Jew, nor Gentile are all one in the body of Christ. Because here's the power, here's the power of the Apostle Paul's words about grace. We like to slip, we like to move Christianity from being a gift of God to what I call moralism, the ways we're supposed to act in the world. And we try to bestill that on our children. You know, you, you can't swear or, you know, you got to be kind in, in these ways. And, and eventually people start thinking that faith is moralism. It's the things that we're supposed to do because good Christians are supposed to do that. And, and I think at some level it's natural because we'd respond to God's love by what? Doing these things. I've had multiple conversations just in the past week with people about how, I, I say this on a regular basis, that we might think something in the church, but the general community doesn't hear what we believe, right? And the general community, especially non-Christians, uh, they believe that Christianity is about two things, probably. One is about God who is going to judge us for the mistakes that we make, because we don't follow a particular way of living, right? And that the other is that they're not welcome, right? So it's like, the first is that they, they think that Christianity is about these rules that we've been given, these rules that we've been given. 
And it's ironic because one of the primary arguments of the early church, once we started to organize, you know, Constantine, uh, Constantine was like, you know, hey, start a church, guys, because they was just kind of like some persecuted people. And so now they had to start like figuring out their doctrine. And the first argument they had was this, how are you saved? And they argued about their role in that. They argued about their role in that. And the answer that they gave was, it is by grace that you are saved. It is not about moralism, not about having the right choices, the right past, the right future, the right look, the right bank account, the right car, the right promotion. It is about grace. And the Apostle Paul adds to that just in case we don't get it. And he says, this is a gift from God. Period. That you are given a gift by zero merit. And the greatest mistake that we fall into on a regular basis is to start taking the gift and conditionalizing it by adding on the things we're supposed to do. And that's what drove the Apostle Paul nuts as he was starting these churches. As he would start these churches and they'd start believing and be like, yeah, we're all welcome, we're in. You know, like God loves us. Everyone's welcome around the table. Sounds great. And then someone like comes in the back door, you know, like pretty smart person and starts saying, yeah, you know, Paul's right, but we got this like 2,000 years of teachings called the Old Testament that we follow, or the Torah, they would have called it. And like, we shouldn't just abandon all of that, right? We shouldn't just abandon the fact that you have to eat certain ways, you have to celebrate Sabbath in certain particular ways. So like, Paul's like, yeah, we're all welcome around the table, but let's use some common sense here. Let's use some common sense. You still got to do these things. Let's use some common sense here. That person is crazy and no one should ever vote for them. But Paul says, what? It is not by what we do. And he reiterates it in every single letter to all of his struggling churches because they all fell into the same trap that you and I will fall into inevitably, which is that we will start thinking that this thing called faith is about what we do. And it is a gift. Period. And the greatest mistakes that the church has made throughout the millennia is to believe that people have to do or look or be certain ways. And it's only when we remind ourselves that that is not the case and that we are saved by grace and that all are welcome at the table as they are. Because the apostle says, God made you this way. that we're welcome at the table. And so no matter what is the divisions that we're going to feel, especially over the next few weeks, because we're going to feel it, friends, around your Thanksgiving table, too. It's coming up. Crazy uncle's going to be there. <laughs> you know it. You're laughing because it's true. God's gift is over everyone. And we need to start seeing that in ourselves, and in one another. 
because it's by grace we've been saved. Not by having the right understanding versus the wrong understanding. That we are saved by grace. Because Paul says it's all of us are welcome at the table, right? Slave, free, male, female, in the service, not in the service, retired, college student. I'm going to say it, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, <laughs> gay, straight, whatever it is, we're all welcome at the table of God because it's how God made you and you have been given what? Grace. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks that we cannot even understand the depth of the power of the statements the, Paul, the Apostle Paul has. That it is by grace that we have been saved and not by our own works. Help us remember that every time we struggle to see how someone else might believe something different than us. But also help us believe that in our own selves when we, all we can see is the deformities and the insecurities and, you know, the wrinkles and the pounds and the little bank accounts and all the things that we feel like we're inadequate because we don't have more of or less of. Help us remind ourselves that we are not saved through any of those endeavors, but only by the love that you offer all of us while we were weak, while we were enemies, but especially at the right time in Jesus Christ, who came, suffered, died, rose again, and paved a way for all of us to gather around the table with all of the saints that have gone before us and who have taught us not how to be perfect, but how to be ourselves and to be human in your presence. So guide us each day. Amen.